Episode 258, The Rant. Rich Fetter, NCAA women's basketball official in a holding pattern, willing and waiting to blow the whistle once more. As the summer months waned, I got a chance to speak to and get to know one Rich Fetter. In this pod, we discuss his early life playing sports, his stint in being around the women's basketball game at Seton Hall, and the combination of his hard work and being at the right place to ascend to the highest levels of officiating of officiating in college. All that and more, my conversation with Rich, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for the Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the Irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest by way of New Jersey. There's probably a couple of trees that have fell and then no power, so that adds a new wrinkle to the, the continuous, crazy 2020 that we have had thus far. But I'm on the phone with a super special guest, uh, Women's Division One NCAA basketball official, and somebody that's been around the NCAA for almost half your life. W- would you say that's correct? Pretty close. Yeah, you're, almost. Yeah, if you're trying to date me, I mean, <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> Mr. Reg Fetter, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Ralph. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. We're recording this on a Sunday night. I'm f- I'm finally happy to get you at the night hour hours yeah. because you had to prove to me that you were going to be up. I know I'm always up at all times of the day, um, and I know we both have family, so we've just been, you know, I guess playing phone tag, and then we figured it out. So I'm I'm happy that yeah. everyone is is safe so far. I know you just lost powers. Is everything back to normal and restored? Yeah, after a couple of days, power finally came back, which we're fortunate, especially in our town, there's still people without power. Mm. So I'm happy to say there's no trees on our house and our power's back. So we're, we're fortunate and lucky. So got to take that. So aside from that, of course, that was a wrinkle in the Northeast and it went from the Southeast all the way to the North, uh, the hurricane that just happened. But of course, we have this other thing called the COVID-19 global pandemic that has sweeped everything that we knew. Life is so much different now, but also at the same time, it is a blessing because we have all been able to connect and show that there's a brother, a real brotherhood and sisterhood in the game of officiating. So, you know, having said that, how have you been holding up with the COVID-19 global pandemic? How's your family? And what was the moment that you took it very serious, serious, serious? First, let me address the first part of your question. My family's doing well here in Wayne, New Jersey, a suburb 
40 minutes west of New York City with my wife, and I have twin daughters. Actually, their birthday was yesterday. They just turned four, so that was exciting. But And our family lives you know, a couple hours away from us, so we celebrated socially distanced through Zoom calls, you know, by ourselves here, uh, and we're doing well. My wife and I are fortunate to have jobs that allow us to work remotely, which is great. I normally work in New York City, so it's nice to not have to commute there for a while now, but we're doing well. We're we're adjusting, and I think it's a word in the world of officiating that you, you use a lot is adjusting to your situation. So we've adjusted to it, and we've adapted to what is our new norm. That's the first part. And what was the second part of your question, Ralph? When was the moment that you took it serious? Because I'm uh, assuming that you were in the midst of your postseason yeah. uh, when it came to basketball. That is definitely very clear to me. It's almost like you remember certain things in your life, and this is one of them, the final weekend of the season. I remember it. It was March. It was like 8th to 10th. It was a Friday to a Monday. I traveled quite a bit over the weekend, went from a, a conference final to a conference finale season ending game to a, another conference final then to a conference tournament opener on a Monday on the Monday that's the 10th and those the, the Sunday and the Monday really hit me because we had people come in our locker room and say like this is the things we're, we want you to do where you know don't shake hands with the coaches they're going to do fist bumps there'll be sanitizer at the table uh, and then when we got to the Monday night game, it was even more stricter was that the one team was from Rhode Island, the other team is from Jersey, and the Rhode Island team, based on their governor's restrictions, said don't shake hands with the coaches. So, you know, there was no handshake at all, not even a fist bump, nothing. It was more of just like a wave and a look. And that's when it really set in, it set in and we left after that game, and it was like, okay, what's, what's next? And then Tuesday – you know, I had friends that were working, you know, the MAC tournament in Atlantic City, and they didn't know what was to happen. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of college basketball, even on the men's side. I was going to go to the, the men's Big East tournament in New York City. You know, I work right in the city. I had tickets, and all of a sudden, their noon session on Thursday, they begin the first game, and then all of a sudden they're canceling. I think that's when it really set in. It's like, this is legit. And then, you know, we totally shut down all of basketball, you know, we have no postseason, we have no NCAA tournament, men's and women's. So I think that's when it really, really set in is like, wow, this is serious, especially when it affects you personally and maybe not me personally. I was very fortunate to work that Monday night in a, in a Division One postseason tournament. So maybe it didn't hit me too much personally, but, you know, from a, a landscape of our game, that was huge. And that's just on the women's side, but also on the men's side. I mean, it, it was big. So I think that's when I really was like, wow, this is this is big. Now, in terms of we're, we're taping this uh, early August and it's almost the middle of it. Everything seems kind of blurry. And I say this because New York State is kind of in this own satellite territory where everything is on fire for the rest of the country. And for us, we're we've kind of stabilized. But we still are cautious with the things we do. We kind of take every day day by day, because we aren't sure what's going to happen. And I know one of the controversial things is, you know, school opening, and is that going to be safe? And I think from empirical evidence over the course of the past month, we see that there's going to be cases. And, and it only makes sense if, if you're going to have a congregation of people 
there's a high chance of coronavirus spreading. You know, having said that, do you think that there's a discernible path in school starting on time for us? And, and just talking about the season, how do you think it's going to affect the NCA if you had a thought on when we're going to start? I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a question that's out there and everyone has their own thoughts on it. I mean, I am not someone who has any impacting decision, but I mean, just using my common sense and looking at what's happening, I mean, I think we're going to be impacted in some way, whether it's a partial season or whether it's no season at all. I mean, we have to look at all options because of what's happening out there. So I, I think it would be November, you know, the second week of November, we're going to start and have a, a full season. I, I don't think that at all. We are going to be impacted in some sort of way as a full consortium of officials from division one down to division three and even, you know, even high school and JUCO, NAIA, all that, you know, we're all going to take a hit in some sort of way. And we just have to be together in the sense that hopefully this is, we have to do this for one year, one year, we're going to take a hit and just live with that, you know, almost an asterisk on the season, like, you know, baseball does sometimes with home run records. I think we just have to live with that. Decision is out of your hand. It's out of my hands. Like, I have no say in what happens, and I just have to live with whatever, whatever card is dealt to me. Again, it's all about what I can control, and that is something that I cannot control. And I just have to live with whatever card is dealt to me at the end of the day. And at the, at the end of the day, there is no season, and it's fine. I have to live with that. If there's a partial season, and I have a different schedule than I've seen in the past. And again, I have to live with that. It's, it's, it's not personal. It's just the nature of what's, what's happening right now. Yeah, everything is crazy. And I think for me, I've been able to thrive because now I've been able to concentrate fully on uh, working on referee ramp, which is a blessing in disguise for me because, you know, had I not made this, I wouldn't have connected to you. And let's talk about that connection. We talked about this off air. How did you catch wind of referee ramp? Because I just remember one day you contacted me and, you know, the wonders of the Internet. I'm, I'm so happy that things are like this. And, you know, for me, I've always kind of done this very hesitantly. I was very afraid to put my face in front of it because, you know, we are always taught to be seen and uh, to be seen and not heard. And, you know, I, it's, it's really taboo because there has never been like media coverage for referees. But, you know, I wanted to ask you, how did you catch wind of referee ramp? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, through other people that I follow on social networks, where which I follow very limitedly, but you know, some close friends of mine, you know, you were getting reshared in those channels and people that I knew you were being interviewed by. And it was just very interesting to hear, especially what you said, like it can be taboo for officials to speak in you know, this space and, you know, with what we're going through right now, it's, it's a little bit different and it's a little bit more normal because everyone is stuck at home or just isolated and, you know, people want to want to talk and have somewhat of a voice. That's how I heard about you. And it's just been very interesting to hear different perspectives in, in, and in different sports. I mean, you're not just interviewing people in basketball, but other sports, player side, coach side, and official side been very interesting to hear that because you don't get that every day especially working in the the officiating world with different 
stakeholders in the game. So I think it's a, a very unique new thing that will become a lot normal how we operate. Yeah, and I'm happy to be the pioneer of that because I feel like we have a seat at the table. We just haven't sat at it yet, but that's what we're here for. You know, talking about how you have been so in the game of basketball and you talked about how you were watching even the NCAA tournament on the men's side, the amount of passion that you have for the sport and the officiating. Obviously, that has grown from something along the lines of when you were growing up. Having said that, what did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school? What did you play in high school? And where did you grow up? And what did you play in college? I grew up playing a lot of soccer, to be quite honest. And I think it was just from maybe the generation I grew up in, the area I grew up in. I grew up in South Jersey, about 15 minutes outside of Philadelphia. And soccer was a big part of the culture down there. So I played a lot of youth soccer, t-ball, baseball growing up. The funny thing is I never played any form of organized basketball. I've always enjoyed the game. And as I grew up, I have a younger sister who played in high school, unfortunately, had her ACL her senior year. But, you know, she was very involved in basketball. I always enjoyed watching the game of basketball. And when I got to college, uh, I went to Seton Hall. So I'll get a little shout out there. But I uh, ended up getting recruited to work for the Seton Hall women's basketball team as a, as a manager and got to travel to some great places, be a part of a pretty cool, you know, coaching staff. And eventually, you know, when I graduated, they, they brought me on, on their, their staff as a graduate assistant and, you know, basically paid for my master's degree, which was, I'm in, I'm in debt to the head coach who brought me on at that time and just became very involved in the game. And even throughout my college tenure, officiated sports in the intermodal department, you know, made, made a couple extra bucks just, you know, officiating games from football to soccer to hockey, but then basketball, which is what I really enjoyed doing. So, you know, officiating intermodal basketball and then even working with the women's basketball team, getting, you know, the opportunity to officiate during practices and scrimmages because they knew that I was into that. And then, you know, I graduated with my master's. I went on and worked for the women's pro soccer team for a little bit and eventually ended up getting back in the basketball world, working on staff, on the coaching staff for Fordham women's basketball for a season. And again, able to leverage my officiating knowledge and experience and growing it and, you know, officiating practices. And then, honestly, I, on, on staff there, uh, one of the tasks I had was you know, evaluating officials after after games uh, because the head coach at the time knew I had experience in officiating and had, you know, an interest in officiating. So she was had the trust in me to evaluate the officials after the game and watch all the videos that came out from the national coordinator or, you know, the conference coordinator. Again, my, my interest in officiating grew there. And then after I left Fordham, you know, reached out to the coordinator at that time and said, I'm interested in, you know, getting into it a little bit more. And she invited me to her camp. And from there, you know, they say, you know, (laughs) (laughs) then the history was written and um, started getting hired by conferences and, you know, not division one right away, but, you know, division three, division two, and then eventually getting seen by division one coordinators and 
and getting hired from there and using that as a almost a side gig to my now what is my professional career I feel very fortunate um, and, and lucky in terms of the path that I took. Mm. Now let's talk about those breaks. I wanted to isolate two things that you just spoke on. That whole that whole encounter in Seton Hall, right? So we're, we're talking about you're, you're doing intramural games, right? And, and mm-hmm. they knew that you were uh, you had an interest in officiating and just being around a Division One school, and you you watch high level basketball players day in day out. You see their habits and you see what it takes to watch these officials. When did you realize that that was like a very unique situation that probably isn't something that normal people, at least people in the officiating side, experience initially? I think it was when I would start like coming to the gym to like get ready for a game, an official would get there before me. I'd be like, wow, we're like two hours before a game and there are the refs getting there before the game, you know, getting ready for that game. I don't think I, it really put into perspective until I, until I started watching that. I mean, like, you know, then I started realizing how serious it was and how those officials took it very seriously. I mean, I'm, the Big East is a, a very competitive basketball league. You know, they're getting paid pretty well from, from, from my knowledge. I don't work the league, but from my knowledge to, to officiate that league. So to see them getting there almost at the same time that I was getting there for a game was 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 pretty impressive, and some of those officials are the the, the same officials that I've had the opportunity now to work with, and been on games with, or have been clinicians at my camp. So that is when I really realized like how how big of a business it is in a sense, and then also to see you know what goes into the game not just before and during the game, but after mm. seeing them leave the gym, you know, sometimes pretty late at the same time that maybe I may leave the gym or, you know, we leave a post game with the team, you know, depending on how the game went they're you know, reviewing film, you know, pretty late after the game. So I think there's a lot of factors that go into it that you really start to understand how serious it is for them. And then also, I mean, some of them are coming in from, you know, pretty long distances, you know, they, and you don't know where they were the night before either. I mean, that's the other piece. You may know who you're getting prior to that game, but you don't know where they're coming from. And they're showing the same professionalism and appearance. I mean, your game as they did the night before, and you don't know where they were the night before, unless you saw that game film like last second. So I think that's one thing, especially at that level to understand the accountability they have for themselves at that level and how important it is for them. It's, I think this term has been thrown around a lot that officiating is an advocacy. You know, I think that was a lot more in the past where now it's a, it's a pure business now. Wow. From top to bottom, I think, you know, I think people view it as it's a business. I think it is an advocacy for a lot of people, but it can be viewed as both. And, but it's a, it's a business. I mean, there's a, and there's a lot of money at stake mm. with officiating basketball games. And there's a lot of pressure. The importance of taking it seriously is even more important these days. Now, I do want to isolate two things. So, you know, just coming up, you were playing soccer outside the Philadelphia area. You've <laughs> watched your sister play basketball. And, you know, I wanted to know what was your perception of officials when you were growing up playing these sports. And also, you know, I just wanted to come with a, 
with a short little story myself. I'm pretty good at basketball. I'm not going to lie. I used to scrimmage the Hofstra team when I was a little bit younger. But you know what? When I when I start watching the NBA, I realize how not good I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, <laughs> relatively speaking, I'm, I'm really good. But those NBA players yeah. are, are something serious. And I think when you officiate at the intramural level, right? Now, even even it's a Division One school, I'm pretty sure that there's highly competitive kids that play intramural basketball. But when you see these professional officials come in, you go, oh, maybe I'm not that good. So, you know, I guess I just want to ask you, what is your perception of officials when you were growing up? And then subsequently, your experience as an official, and then you see it in comparison to the officials that were on the more professional side. I consider myself on the less athletic side. I think I was more passionate about the sport I was playing. I wasn't necessarily great at soccer or any sport I played, but I was passionate about it. So that might have fueled my fire to be a little bit more aggressive with officials. And I've actually dabbled, I'll say, in <laughs> coaching soccer at the high school level when I was out of grad school a little bit at a school in North Jersey. A girls team, a JV team, I think I got two yellow cards as a coach. Probably just saying a few wrong things. Overall, I think I have a lot of respect for officials. Especially if I've grown to acknowledge the game and respect the business of officiating now that I think officiating is so criticized in the media and overall by fans across the board, every sport, that I have a different respect for it. Yeah, there are certain calls every every game, every night where you're like, well, you know, I can agree with what the commentator is saying there. I get it, but it's different than seeing it live. I think the live aspect is completely different. And if you can acknowledge the fact that officials are human and they will get things wrong and they will learn from that, I think really that's the most important thing. I mean, uh, in looking at where I am and, you know, my officiating career and seeing, you know, even now the officials in you know, the bubble you know, what they've been able to do in terms of going from not refereeing for how long, quite a few months, to now officiating away from their families, living in a hotel room, working on these, you know, isolated floors in Florida, and still being able to officiate at a high level. Granted, people will criticize that. And again, there's there's plays to criticize no matter what game you're officiating. It's pretty impressive. The same way that the players are doing. I mean, they're playing at a high level away from their families, living in not ideal conditions that they're used to. So I've grown a a great level of respect for uh, the officiating world, especially more at the the professional level, but also, you know, my my colleagues. I mean, um, you know, people that I work with, in, in college basketball, especially the ones that you know they're traveling every night to a different place, to a different league, and fishing a different level of game. So I think there's just a level of respect to be have to be had for that type of gig. It's easy to criticize, and I think it's I think it's easy to criticize and hard to respect mm. when you're on the outside because you have a different perspective. It's all about the media and the TV view that you have. It's easy as a fan to be the Monday morning quarterback watching the game live and seeing the replay three times. 
but when you are in the game in terms of officiating, understand the lead has a different view than ESPN does and they don't have the three angles that they do and they can slow it down, you get a different perspective for the game and you have a different respect for the work that these people do. And I, and especially in, in basketball, I mean, I feel like basketball is one of the hardest sports to officiate because mm-hmm. of the, how, how quick it is and how fast, and it's all about angles in basketball. And there's a lot of other sports you can adjust before things happen. In basketball, it's happening too quickly. Mm. So you really have to have a sense of the game. I was going to say, whatever they're doing in the bubble, it's quite remarkable. I was even thinking about, you know, just, I guess, in the interim of all of us not officiating and watching basketball, I really thought that everyone was going to be completely rusty, but everyone came out the gate completely ready to play. Yeah. And I want to give a yeah. special shout-out at this time to Zach Zarba, Carlina Tobin, Kevin Sparrick, and Billy Smith. Those are all my guys and gals. I wish you safe in the bubble. I know Zach Zarba. We spent the moment where he was like, I'm on the Peloton every day and I'm going to be Ray. And he had like the scruffy beard. And now to see him at the bubble, it's really, really cool to see that come to fruition. So I, I really wish that safe. And, and I hope it continues to keep going with zero cases. But, you know, back to you. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I found your path so interesting because, you know, I think about my path. I got it later in life, completely out of college, uh, maybe about a decade outside of college. You know, it was like unbeknownst to me. I'd never thought that you can officiate and, and be involved in a game. So I always found that interesting. But you, on the other hand, you never did high school ball. And I think about all of my mates in high school and all the junior high level and at the rec level, sometimes they might not even get an opportunity to speak to a Division One referee, right? So I also think that that could have been a very adverse situation for you coming up because you never were on the high school circuit. So I, I just wanted to isolate that particular thing about you. When did you start taking this serious? And I guess what was your first experience in a game? When was the moment that you started taking it serious as if like, you know what, I, I want to have a real go at this. And do you think that you had a lot of static and friction that you didn't do in any high school that people were taking you serious? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Probably my first experience in officiating. It's, it's not very official, but probably living in South Jersey and uh, having a couple friends in the neighborhood just playing like one-on-one, and I'd be like, all right, I'll rep the game <laughs> on the street. Just because I was intrigued by officiating. I have a, an aunt of mine who officiated high school basketball for – 30 years in South Jersey. Again, she, she only refed high school basketball, but, you know, refed a lot of state games in New Jersey, did very well. And I, I'd go to games and I found it intriguing. And that kind of sparked my interest a little bit. And then, like I said, when I got to Seton Hall, you know, looking for a, a job to make a couple extra bucks, worked in the intramural department and started officiating all their sports and really getting attached to basketball. So I think that was almost my first more organized experience, refing you know, some some pretty good basketball players. Some of them end up being walk-ons at Seton Hall, but I mean overall it was a, it was a fun experience and getting to you know learn about the game. Some people I worked with there were like I learned from them because they went on to referee you know men's college basketball from there. So I think I really took it seriously after. 
after I left more of the coaching side of basketball and went to some camps and you get certain people that come up to you and ask you questions where you're from, how long you've been doing this. And then you start getting offered some, some contracts. And I think that's where I started taking serious. And then when I start to see, you know, year one from year two and beyond, you start to see your games increase, your postseason games increase. And then from year to year, you know, you get offered other opportunities, you get offered division one contracts. You know, I get to this year, I get my first division one postseason assignments. Like, okay, this is, this is getting a little serious. And so I would say I started taking it like pretty serious about two years ago when I started to see really the division one side really increase for me, but also from a division two standpoint, going further into the NCAA tournament and same with division three, I'm seeing more. Uh, conference finals and then going deeper into the NCAA tournament. So I think that's when I started to take it a little more serious. I think you also start taking it a little bit more serious when you see that you're not getting dropped from conferences, but you're getting added mm. um, to more conferences, especially at the higher level. So, I mean, and so the, your third part with the high school piece, that was complete luck on my end. Part of it was just because where I was at, I knew people at the the college level from my coaching experience that just propelled me into different situations that someone else would get into from starting from scratch. I mean, I had, you know, worked, you know, CIO league, summer rec leagues, you know, to get experience, but from an organized standpoint, you're right. I've never worked high school basketball. I consider myself, in a sense, lucky that I've been able to propel that quickly, not to say that everyone's path is the same way. A lot of my friends have started high school. I think it was just my unique situation of, you know, coaching college basketball, then knowing that I worked very closely with some of the conference fires. They're just like, you know, come to my camp and you just go there and you just start getting hired. I think that was more of, you know, my thinking. I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to get the high school path. I think it was just more of where I was in my place at that time. Yeah. Listen, listening to your story, I think there's a lot of clarity into the way you got to where you were. And I think that's always important. And I think that's like one of my mission statements personally for the show is because I think it's important to know everybody's full story, right? I think refereeing is such a unique occupation where sometimes you can, you can really misjudge things, come to conclusions when you don't really know the full story. And then through time, when you build equity with people, then you go, oh, now that makes sense, right? Would, would you yeah. say that's true? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think everyone, everyone's path is different. It's a unique experience for everybody. And at the end of the day, no one should be judged for their own path based on where they came from, as long as in good faith in a sense. And it means the right thing. I mean, I have coordinators I work for. They've always said, be patient with me. Some are quicker than others. Some are more patient and you have to just go with the flow Mm. and respect that what they're doing with you in your path is what's best for you because you do not want to, you know, get with a certain coordinator and they're like, all right, I see potential on you. I'm throwing you on these, 
you know, big games right away. Mm. And then it sets you up for immediate failure. And then all of a sudden you fail and how can they trust you moving forward? You come back down the rail. Honestly, it's been led along the right path. If that makes sense. No, it it makes complete sense. And, And of course, you know, I'd be remiss to say, Listen, I can know Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. I could go, okay, so I want to try out. I still got to be good at basketball, right? So, I mean, yeah. you still have to have some sort of level and talent and proficiency in what you're doing. And I'm sure that somebody along the way has helped you. And, you know, I would like to use this time to, if you can, discuss any of your mentors, who they are, list them, because you're going to get in trouble if you miss anybody. What do you think <laughs> they've done for your career? And how do you think they've shaped the way you've helped people after you? So it's funny, based on my past, and this is probably more more unique than other officials you've spoken to, but some of the the mentors I have are more coaches I've worked for in the collegiate game. Specifically at Seton Hall, I worked for Phyllis Mangina, who worked who was the head coach of Seton Hall for God, 25 plus years. Really an outstanding coach, did a great job there. She's one of I think, four head coaches at Seton Hall over the course of years, played for Seton Hall. And she really kind of enabled me in the game of officiating and would give me her feedback. I mean, her and I, pre-COVID, would meet for dinner, you know, once a month. She'd ask about my schedule, what I was doing. She commentates for a bunch of schools. And she would give me her feedback a lot about situations I've had in games and how coaches perceive those. So I've learned a lot from the coach's perspective, especially someone who was a Big East coach for years and had the best officials on her game and I'd be able to talk through situations with her. So I think she's one and she's always, she's still, you know, kind of a mentor for me. And, you know, when I went to, to Fordham and, and was on the coaching staff there, I mean, Kathy Andrewsy was the head coach I worked for, who I worked with at Seton Hall, who was an assistant. And she um, has kind of been a pioneer of women's basketball over the course of the last you know, 30 years, also very smart, intelligent businesswoman in the, in the private business world. You know, she has given me her perspective and also, you know, she's like a professional, a, pro- a professional coach that works with a lot of different sports organizations. So she will help me through different situations and talk through different scenarios. So those are two that, you know, are, are big in, in my personal world in terms of mentors and how I approach the game and progress. And it, it, honestly, to, uh, to be quite honest, the other ones are my peers, a couple of friends who are just very important to me in the officiating game. They've been in the game a little bit longer than me at the collegiate level that I've learned a lot from and I've worked a lot with them along the way that, you know, I can talk honestly and transparently with them daily about plays in season and get honest opinions. They're not going to sugarcoat me. They're not going to try to stroke my ego. They're going to say, no, Rich, you got this wrong, and here's why. And those are, you know, some people that you know, like Scott Perkins is, a, you know, my best friend in this game. Um, he's, a, he's a friend of my family, a, a great guy. Anthony Redden, who works, you know, a lot of Division One leagues. Those are my two main ones. And also Zoe Robbins, who you, I think you may know the name. Mm-hmm. She works quite a bit Division One. Those three are like my core. They work a lot of Division One, 
more than I do and have been around the game longer. And I can pass a lot of things on to them that I know I will get a trusted answer and an honest answer. So that's really a lot of where I get my knowledge from. It's a very small, trusted, like, circle group. And I like that I have a balance of, which it's kind of unique, like having, you know, like my two <laughs> coaches that are out of the game but are still connected to the game that I can bounce things off of just because they have so much knowledge in the game. And then, like, current officials that have a little bit more experience than I do. Do you have any mentees that you have under your, your tutelage? Yeah. And if you do, um, what do you think you've learned about yourself becoming a mentor? So, yes, there is a few that I have uh, in the South Jersey area, only from my roots, a few people through actually friends of my, my sister and her husband who have been in the officiating game. And I, I've only learned from meeting them through my sister and my my brother-in-law that are new in the game that I've opened myself up to them to talk through plays, send me plays. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from their plays. You know, they'll send me things and I'll see things that I have not thought about. At the same time, there are other, you know, people just in my area here that I, they may not be specifically a mentee to me, but I may do a game with them and they're, you know, the U2 or the U1 and I'm a star on the game and they'll send me a play after and say, what do you think here? And I'll learn from from that play. Or if I'm the R on the game and I'm, you know, I decide to send out a couple of plays to the crew afterwards and I say, what do you think about these three plays? I think it's important overall whether if you're mentoring people or you're sending things to your mentor, just being open to feedback overall, especially in our game, we get we get criticized so much, but the more that you can be open to feedback from people that you trust, I think is extremely important. You can be buddy buddy with like the best official in the world, but if they're not honest with you, like how how great of a friend are they to you? Like yeah. you need to be able to be real with them. And I think that is extremely important. At the end of the day, we're officiating a game. It's not life or death. It is a game. And we're here to learn from everybody. So I think that is one of the most important things is just being open and honest with whoever you're talking about in this, this world because we're criticized enough from the outside, the media, the fans, the coaches. Mm -hmm. and, and inside, I think we can... You know, it's, it's different. You can be criticized in your inner circle. It's just a little bit more honest and direct. It's, it's more rules-driven or, you know, mechanic perspective. It's not like, oh, you really kick that one, you know. Mm. Yeah, listen, I always look for a, a mentor and a mentee that I can stab somebody in the front. I all, I'm all about stabbing people in the front, not in the back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's a great way to look at that. Now, so... We're almost towards the second half, what we are in the second half of the summer. And, you know, we were supposed to have all of these camps and, you know, just to, to show your face in, in the uh, various conferences that you were working at. And everything kind of got upended. And mm -hmm. it was all of these virtual camps. You just attended a yep. virtual camp that I was basically the DJ the whole night. And, you know, it's yeah. really funny. I talked to all the clinicians just, just like during the whole thing. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's really funny because... We've this has been thrusted upon people and I've always had the foresight of how I need to control this. And 
you know, I, I always try to say that if you're if you're basically showing a play that you did, it's really hard for you to continue to press play and scrub it to where that is, right? It's a lot different if somebody else is controlling it. And I just think that unique perspective of all the virtual camps and how it became a necessity in order for all of the officiating community to stay connected. I just mm-hmm. wanted to see what was your experience with all of the virtual camps that you attended this past summer? I've only been through, besides the one that was tonight, I just popped in because I wanted to hear some friends of mine who were presenting, but it, it was a great, it was a great session. I know they've done, Magbo's done a couple of sessions, which has been great. The only session I've sat in on so far has been on one of my coordinators. She ran a, a three-day session. And it was very interesting because when you normally go to a camp, you sign up for a three-day period and you, you, you fly or you go to wherever the camp is and you're there for every session. Like there's no optional session considering the times that we're in you know some of the sessions were during for me work hours for others may have been more personal hours because it ran from partially weekend to weekday she put it as go when you can and i think from and you can relate to this i'm sure it's hard to it's hard to relate to that like go when you can like i'm supposed to be there all the time it's camp like there's nothing else going on. Mm. And because you're used to being there in this, it really felt like it was, it, it, you had to put your mindset in that. But at the same time, it's like, all right, this is, this is optional. I'm going to go when I can. I'm going to pick the sessions that are more appealing to me that may fit me. And knowing that some of the sessions that were happening, I knew I've been to previous years at this camp. So I could skip but it was it was very you know you text back and forth with some some people you know like which ones are you going to are you really on this one and you, you overthink it it's just like <laughs> she put it out as it's optional nobody has to pay for anything you go when you can you're there here's the link so I think this is a new time for officials to like almost relax <laughs> especially with virtual cancers like take a step back Mm-hmm. You know, I have another one coming up in a, in a couple weeks from another coordinator who put out two days. He's going to do two days, four hours. You pick a date and you show up. I think the camps have been a very good, the one that I was at, days are blending right now. So I guess it's a couple weeks ago. I know the feeling. Um, <laughs> it was a good blend of a lot of like mental, personal stuff. And then a blend of basketball. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't straight. We're going to talk basketball for four days. It was, here's the mental, how you get ready for a game, some yoga stuff, some tax stuff, which is great. Like, you know, how, how you structure your taxes, especially in this day and age with COVID now. So that was good. And then we spent, there was actually, actually a very good person from the media world who spoke. And then it was like a day of basketball, which was, which was good. It's always talking. It's always great to talk basketball at some point. It's it's been a while since we've seen plays, so to talk plays and 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 go through different situations, I think is good. It keeps us, you know, it's been a while, so I think it's good to to refresh that and get back into that routine. As officials in basketball, we're used to being in this game 
12 months out of the year. Like there's always something every month. There's a touch point where we're in this game. So I think it's good to have that. I think it was nice earlier in the year when we're like, okay, this pandemic is happening. Let's all take a break and worry about ourselves. Basketball will come back at some point. It's a matter of when. So if the players are taking the time to get ready, we eventually need to do the same thing, whether it's virtually or in person based on where you're at in the country. Mm. So I think the coordinators have done, at least the ones I work for, have done a really good job of making resources available for free to have these great sessions where we can talk basketball um, as well as some other, you know, basketball rated things to get ready for a season. Uh, it's very interesting. It's, it's very weird, Ralph. I'm sure you feel the same way. It's, it, it's, it's weird to have a summer where you don't go anywhere and you're not with people oh, it, at a camp. Listen, it's, <laughs> I mean, and even just on the referee rant side, I, I think about how many times I'm like, man, I got a game at six, but I have to edit this podcast. So I have to do it like yeah. deep into the night. And, you know, somebody like, Rich Fetter, right? During the season, you you wouldn't be around. This this is not normal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even me, I, I, I would be doing, if it was a normal Sunday, I would have like six flag football games, then three basketball games. I wouldn't even have time to speak to you. So it's such a weird time. And, you know, just to go back in the camp situation, do you think that moving forward when everything, if and when, when everything comes kind of full circle and, and normal again. Do you think that everything's going to be a mixture of how we used to know what camp was and a mixture of what this virtual camp is now? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I look at how, you know, my, my professional job has handled it. My professional job has said, don't expect to be back in a, a real office till January. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like full capacity. I mean, they're open right now, but at very limited in New York City and there's a lot of restrictions. So I almost see basketball as the same way. And basketball is not just basketball, but college athletics. I mean, it is a business in a sense. So they're out to, it's to make some money, um, but also to keep players safe. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to look at. I think one is how football handles it. I think we're going to find out some news probably next week in terms of how the big big five is going to look at it. Right. But in terms of basketball specifically and how they structure camp moving forward, I think one is how we're looking at our regional clinics this year from a Division One level. I mean, the regional clinics are going to be completely virtual. They've announced that. We're not in a rule change year, but I don't think that, in my personal opinion, I don't think it makes a difference. If you can log on and get on a Zoom meeting, we can do the same thing we do in person. Obviously, it's very different from the camaraderie standpoint the in-person standpoint but from the NCAA perspective I'm sure there's money being saved I'm assuming that Mm. so if they can prove that it works well that way moving forward why not they could do a blend they could say there's again this is my own opinion they could do one or two virtual two in person next year like they can make a blend of it, but the same goes for, you know, a signer camp. They could say, you know, I'm going to do a virtual one that focuses on this. I'll do an in-person at this, you know, AU tournament. I think it's all based on how 
you know, people want to move forward. Uh, it, it's tricky because it's a business. You know, these AU tournaments bring in a lot of teams, a lot of high-profile pro- coaches, and a lot of money. How these signers want to approach how they handle their own businesses as assigners and how they want to evaluate their officials. So it's a, it's a very interesting landscape of how things are work looked at. I know that some of signers also, you know, they're not just looking at how people officiate in the summer, but it's how they officiate their, their previous season. So you may work for X conference and you're only going to be evaluated for your next, your next season schedule on how you rep going into the 2021 season, how you rep in the 19 to 20 season. Mm. You know, what were your ratings there? I mean, I know there are some assigners that work that way. They, your current season is how you're going to get assigned for your future season. Mm. Whereas others base it off of, you know, a blend of that and blend of how they see you in the summer. It's very different from assigner to assigner. So I do think there in the future, there could be the potential to do a blend of virtual and in person. It's just a matter of, you know, what it looks like from a, from a signer's perspective. Yeah. I can or from a, or ahead. from a national perspective, if mm-hmm. they want to do that from like a, conferences in September and October. Right. So yeah, it's very interesting to see how everything's going to move forward. And obviously everything is very fluid because, yeah. you know, I, and you know, I, I try to tell people when, when they think that when, when they have hubris and thinking that we're, we've beaten something, there hasn't been a day in the past six, six months, half a year where we woke up and said, Oh, there's no cases. There's nothing. We're good. <laughs> so just to keep that in perspective, everything is still on fire. You know, I was thinking about this today. Normally, I would do flag football. And also, I just reached out to one of my uh, baseball mentors. And, you know, he just kind of showed me his schedule. And he was telling me how he had a doubleheader today. And I was like, do I have FOMO right now? Should I should I be on the field? And, you know, it, it goes back and forth between, you know, maybe I should have just doubled down on baseball during the summer because I haven't done anything. But at the same time, I'm still all right just going to the beach every day. But, you know, saying that... Would you ever officiate another sport? And if it was, uh, if you were to, what would it be, and why? Uh, it's funny. It's funny. So obviously in college, I inter- I officiated a couple of sports in the real. I did football, which was like flag football, hockey, which was like indoor on like rubber mats. What else did I do? Like uh, like softball in college, and then when I got into grad school, it's funny. I actually. Somehow, I don't know how I got into it, but I, I, I umpired like a wooden bat adult baseball league in South Jersey. And I will tell you what, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. It was like Saturday and Sunday morning at like 9 a.m. in July and all this. It was hot. <laughs> and, or there was a random like Wednesday night game at like 8 o'clock. And, those games, I mean, they had like limits on innings and stuff like that, but it was just boring. Mm-hmm. So boring to, to me. I mean, I know a lot of people really enjoy umpiring baseball. Um, the cool part was those wooden bats. Like that was 
very cool to me. It was an adult league, it was wooden bat. So it was, there was a little bit more of an exciting aspect. Um, but to be quite honest, if there was another sport I would officiate, it would be like the NHL. Mm. <laughs> like I, the one thing about basketball, it's fast paced. It's up and down. There's always something happening. I, and I think there's the same with hockey. And there's also judgment involved. I love the fact that with basketball, there's judgment. Obviously, we have the rules, but there is a large element of our judgment and where you have to explain to a coach why you called what you called. And I think there's a sense of that in hockey as well. And there's just a lot of action. And something that also appeals to me with hockey, same to basketball, is we have a clock. I mean, that was the thing with baseball. There's no clock. You don't know when you're going to end. <laughs> so I think that's why I've had an affinity towards basketball and why we have an affinity towards hockey. It's cool. It's, it's, you know, you're on ice. It's a colder sport. It's indoor. That is one sport I would, if, if I had to pick another sport to officiate, I would pick hockey. Yeah, listen, I think that, Hockey is the crown jewel of officiating only because of the action and also just the fact of how involved they get in. You know how like sometimes they're in the play, then they go above the boards and then they they break up the fights and all of them look like elite Olympic skaters. So I already know that 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 already takes me out of the equation. (laughs) It's cool. And I remember I'm a I'm a big I'm a big Flyers fan. I grew up in South Jersey. I'm all I'm all Phillies. So Eagles, Flyers, Sixers. Eagles. So, but with with hockey, like, yeah, you, the officials are just like very great skaters. Oh, I mean, they come crazy. out before the game, and they, you know, you have two linesmen, you have two referees now. Like the game is well, I think, very well officiated. And now, you know, they're in a bubble too, and I think it's doing extremely well. And it's just cool. You just, you're ice skating. Yeah, it's, it's to me, it's it's utterly crazy how they stop and the old time and school, all that. They got the old, they got the old school whistles on the finger. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, listen, I'd be completely terrified to lose my teeth with one of those pucks just taking it straight to the face. I'd, I'd be terrified, and it's <laughs> unreal how, yeah. how how good they they do a great job. Yeah. After everything you said, what do you think are the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a <clears throat> Division One collegiate basketball yeah. official on the women's side? You know, one thing I think is patience. That's the first thing. I think you have to be extremely patient in this game. You, especially because every assigner has different expectations for people, and you cannot control that. You can only control who you are and how you officiate. So, being patient, I think, is extremely important. I mean, I remember. I'll never forget this. Getting went very early in my career, going to a camp. Um, Pennsylvania for a Division Three, Division Two assigner. He hired me in the parking lot. and said, "I'm going to hire you for Division Two leagues and his Division Three leagues, wherever it was." And then two weeks later, he he lost the gig as the assigner. And the new assigner came on, and luckily I got retained. But it's just like those things you cannot control. Mm. You can only control what you do and you have to be patient. The whole thing is about patience. You can't you can't worry about who does what and who excels 
not excels, but who moves faster than you are and you started the same day that they did. There's different factors in everyone's path. And some people rise quickly and fall. Some people rise slowly and excel. It's all about patience, I think. And it's also about, these days, it's about, because it's more of a business, it's about how can you separate yourself from others? How are you unique than any other official? Because today, a lot of officials look and officiate the same way. Mm. And it's about if you're going to a camp in person in front of a signer, how can you officiate and stand out differently than other people? Mm. It's not about just like rules knowledge and mechanics knowledge. It's about how do you your presence on the court. How can you interact with the coaches, the table, the players? If there's other intangibles that I think people forget about. They're, fo- they're so focused on the rules and mechanics, and those are extremely important. But when you're at a camp and you're in front of somebody you want to get hired by, there's some other things that they're looking at that will separate you from the rest of the pack. So I think that is another thing. But I, I really go back to patience. I mean, in my opinion, I've tried to be as patient as I can in the, you know, the nine years I've been in this business. And it has, in my opinion, done me well to be patient and to not, you know, get frustrated along the way. Because I would be upset if I would move too quickly through the ranks and I, a couple faults and fouled and then come back down it takes a while to go back up so in my perspective patience is important and then I mean the effort again it's not it is an advocacy but it's not it's a business there's a lot of people that are on my back other people's back to get where I am or where anyone else is I'm not I wouldn't consider myself as <laughs> high as some others, but you know, it's, it's the effort that goes into it. It's the rules knowledge, mechanics knowledge. It's just being in encompassed in the game that is extremely important. So those are the few, I mean, I think it's patience, it's knowledge, it's effort. I mean, those are the really, the main thing Mm. if you're doing those three things then you should do pretty well but like i said the one thing is it's finding and there's no formula to this it's finding your own unique self if you try to emulate a joe vasily it's not going to separate you from the pack Mm. (laughs) because joe vasily is where he is because he's joe vasily I think it's finding your own way of separating yourself from anyone else who's at a camp with you. You may have the same rules knowledge, you have the same mechanics knowledge, but it's how you approach the game on the floor. Mm. I think that is, that's really a huge thing. And what I've found is how it separates you at a camp. I know you still have a long career ahead of you. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go? Ralph, I've gone further than I ever thought. I never thought I would have done what I've done today in terms of 
officiating. I'm very humble and lucky for what I've done uh, in terms of where I want to go. That's a tough one. I mean, I'd say I'd like to go further in postseason in Division One, Division Two. I've gone to a regional semi, maybe a, a regional final. I don't know if that's still in my cards. <laughs> Division Three, I've I did the Elite Eight a couple of years ago. I've maybe a Final Fours in my past, but I've done lots of Division Three recently. I think it's more about selling myself at the top level and mentoring people, in my opinion. I enjoy teaching people along the way in games where, you know, I may be fortunate enough to be the crew chief and I can, you know, teach them something. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I, I take, you know, what I can get. Obviously, is sure anyone that you interview, I mean, working the NCAA Division One tournament would be awesome for me, but I think that is a long ways away, and if I get that, that would be like winning the lottery, so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, at this point, I take what I can get. I feel like I've been very fortunate with what I've been dealt today. Maybe in the leagues I work in, maybe some non-conference high-profile games would be cool. I mean, I did one this year, which was, which was cool for me, but maybe something a little bit more high profile would be cool. Mm. Yeah. I th- I th- listen, I think you're going to get there. What's really crazy about, you know, just hearing your perspective and, you know, it's fluid because first of all, you never thought you were going to get this far and here you are. And of course your goals have to change because you've evolved as a person. Right. And, you know, my goal is to join you on the division one level. Mm-hmm. I still got a ways to go. I know that personally, but at the same time, I have this whole parallel life of being the media guy yeah, or referee. Yep. So, you know, to me, it's like as much as I want to go as far as I can officiating side, maybe I'm best served doing what I'm doing. So that remains to be seen for me. But again, this is about you. If you can, and I know you have a lot, what is the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a basketball official? Well, and just going back to what you said first before addressing that, I mean, it's, it's a balance. Like, I remember when I first got into it, I was like, oh, this is great. I would love to, you know, just rough a ton of games, get in a lot of leagues. And then as I get older, I get married, I have kids. I'm like, I have a full-time job. I do very well. This is a nice supplement. I don't know if I would want to do this full-time. Mm-hmm. It supplements very well. Um, it fits into my schedule. I'm able to get, get away when I need to. Especially now, more with the pandemic, <laughs> I'm working remotely more. Mm-hmm. So it fits in nicely. So that's one, that is one thing that I thought about a lot. But to your point, the stickiest situation, ugh, stickiest situation in officiating. I hope you edit some of this out. Oh, God. I mean, the, the one thing, and I know we spoke about this when we talked, I wouldn't say we sticky. It was just, a, uh, just an odd situation. Was four years ago, I guess it was, I wrecked my, I think it was my first Division three conference championship in... I guess I should name it in the New York City Division Three League, 
and I was, I guess, fortunate enough to give a coach his second technical foul and eject him from a championship game. Wow. And actually, no, it was not my first championship game. It was my second championship game. It was the year, it was the next year. But the first year, I think we probably should have done the same thing and uh, it didn't happen. So it happened the second year. It, it just, it, it actually happened the, the perfect way in terms of how a crew dynamic should work. You have one official that warns, another official that gives the first technical and I was the third official that gave the second technical and ejected. And it was, it was, I would say it was sticky just because this coach decided to run across the floor after me and my partners had to in, intervene and I just went off my own way the other end of the floor. It was just a very odd, it's one of those situations you've never planned for. Mm. Um, that's why I would say it was sticky and, with your coordinator there, I mean, the game at that the game was on ESPN Plus or three. That's when ESPN three was around at that point, or uh, I think it was that or Facebook Live. So it's a pretty packed gym in, in the middle of New York City, and to have that happen, it was in a the game was it was a five point game, third period. This is when we were in periods, I believe. And to have a coach ejected in a championship game, I mean, it's pretty unheard of, mm. almost at any level. And specifically in this league, almost because the, the three of us as officials had a very good relationship with this coach. And the fact that we had to do that was pretty impactful. It was sticky because it just took him a while to leave the court. And the commissioner of the league eventually had to come on and escort him off. And it was, it was, it was very, that was the stickiest part of it because the three of us as officials were rattled. It felt like it took a, an hour for this to happen. And we're in a five point game in a championship game. And this was a rematch actually the previous year. Eventually when we restart play, three of us had gotten the same page and we, we finished the game and the team with the coach that got ejected, they ended up losing, but they didn't lose by much. Partially probably because they spotted the, the other team four free throws from the two technicals. Um, but, you know, we get to the locker room and we don't know what to think. We're, you know, we're sitting there, we think we did a good job, but we know what our coordinator is going to think. And he strolls in and he said, you know, let's start with the elephant in the room. And he said, I think you did a very good job of handling that. You you handled it the way you should have handled. And even better, you continued the game the way you need to continue. You weren't rattled by the situation. You officiated as you would if you were still there. And he was more upset with the fact that how his coach acted in that game. So that was, that was very comforting, but it was a very – in game, it was very sticky and awkward. I only say that because it's a it's a very odd situation to be in, uh, where you do something and you're not sure how your coordinator is going to react, and because of the type of game that you're in, and being in a conference championship game, obviously stakes are higher, but a game's a game. Doesn't matter if it's the first game of this game. 
first game of the season, last game of the season. And at the end of the day, it wasn't over a block charge call. It wasn't over a travel. It was over a coach going out of line, which clearly it was shown on film. So I'd only say that was the stickiest situation I was in just because of how awkward it was. But mm. again, I think we, as a crew, we learned a lot from it. Mm. I think you told me that story before. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, having said that, what do you think is your best moment thus far as a basketball official? That's another good question. I think there's a few. I think definitely a few from this season. I think one was, which was unexpected, but being able to be part of a crew officiating a, a Division One postseason game this year at a, a conference uh, tournament level, that was, that was great for me this year. Another one was, and I'll call him that again, but being able to officiate a, a Division Two conference final with my, my best friend, Scott Perkins, like him and I being able to be on the same crew this year was a, was a lot of fun for us. Something that I will cherish, especially it was, it was COVID weekend for me. I would say that it was the Sunday, <laughs> it was Sunday, March 9th. I'll never forget it. We, there was one of the games where the commissioner walked in the locker room and said, listen, you're not going to shake hands with the coaches. They may fist bump the, the other ones, but we have a bottle of sanitizer at the table, and I'll never forget. We, we're <laughs> this is how sick Scott and I are. We're standing at the table during the national anthem, and then we look over at the table before the anthem starts. And there's a big bottle of hand sanitizer, and we look at each other. And <laughs> Scott goes to me and said, "The winner of this tournament, the winner of this game, gets that bottle." <laughs> and I mean, it's it's. It's sick, but it's it's funny. I mean, it loosened the mood. The whole crew, like our third, was relatively comfortable with both of us. But like Scott and I were like extremely comfortable. It was just a great moment, and it's one of those moments that really, honestly, it makes a crew that much more comfortable. Like if you can do that seconds before you throw up the ball, it's great. So I'd say that was a great moment, and the other one was a couple of years ago. A Division II NCAA tournament in the regionals. Honestly, my whole, I would say my crew, we, we advanced together. It was myself, Scott Burke, and Joey Robbins, and Anthony Redden. We all advanced to uh, the regional semifinals together. And the three of them worked the regional finals together. So, But that was cool to all be together, you know, in a different environment uh, for you know, postseason tournament. So that was a lot of fun. So I'd say those are my like three, three biggest like high points in what I've done. Mm. Yeah. Listen, and, and more to come continued success in everything that you do. You know, I hope that there's a speedy recovery with all of this stuff so I can finally meet you in person and then hopefully do a game with you at some point mm-hmm. in my career. But listen, I appreciate your support with referee rent. Um, it's really good to know, you know, like, when I first started this, I never would have thought that I'd be speaking to Division One referees, pro referees, people in the NFL and the NBA. It's it's a very honorable thing for me that I'm and I'm honored to tell your story. And you know, I, I think it's just like I said, it's it's important, especially like for fans and and for players and for coaches. And I think coaches get it because, and I also think players also on a higher level they understand because everybody that's involved in those games worked very hard to get there, right? So everyone understands the equity that you put in. I just find that sometimes when you're just flipping on ESPN+, Plus, you're just like, oh, this guy's making the wrong call for the team that 
is my favorite team. So, you know, it's really important that we keep having these stories out and we stay connected as officials, even though it doesn't really entirely exist. But I thank you. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? No, Ralph, I think this is great what you're doing. And I think it, it humanizes what we do. I'm sitting here on my front porch just hanging out. and I love the game of basketball, but I'm not thinking about the next game I'm going to do because I don't know what the next game is I'm going to do. And it, mm. it's just fun to talk through everything and also just reflect on, you know, what's happened and everything else. And also talk about the people that help you along the way. Mm. I think that is, I think sometimes that's forgotten. I mean, you know, I've mentioned a couple names, but some of these signers I work for, you know, I'm very grateful for what they've done. And, you know, I, and I appreciate what you've done to grow your, your platform. <laughs> I think what you've done to grow on your platform, just not for basketball, but just as a, as a sports platform in general, mm-hmm. from an officiating world, I see you, you, uh, you interview coaches, you interview players at different levels, which is, it's extremely cool to hear. And I think it's, in my opinion, it's a forgotten voice mm. in sports. See a lot of thing, there's a lot of content online that talks about official abuse, whether it's verbally or physically. It's insane. And what you've delivered now is almost a place for the real voice to be heard of, mm. you know, officials, coaches, players. You know, I I, I got to talk about you know parents who are just idiots, but I didn't <laughs> because I don't want to give them the credit right now. But that I think is given a place for people to talk about it. Uh, really the work that goes into what we do. And again, I'm not just saying officials, but I'm saying players and coaches. I've been on the coaching side. See what they do year in and year out. Mm-hmm. The players, what they do year in, year out. And, and that's as officials. I mean, I think people don't give officials a lot of credit about what we do all year long, year in, year out, especially in the summer. I think that's forgotten, especially at camp. Man, listen, those so, are those are very kind words. Go ahead, keep going. I'm sorry. No, no, no. As I said, so I think the platform you've given is amazing, and I think you're only going to build on this and um, bring even more impactful voices to it. It's, it's extremely cool. I mean, you know, every every story that you're able to deliver to this only makes it that much better. So, man, listen, I I appreciate that. And you know, one of the things that I, I even saw this article, I think it was on CBSSports.com today, and they were presenting referees in limbo in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading that thing, and I'm like, I'm assuming that if I was a player or a, or a coach or or somebody that isn't not too close to the NCAA, I'd be like, wow, these these refs are really like this. I it's, it's always like a shock. You know what I'm saying? It's like a shock that, because they think we're all interchangeable and there's so many different referees. There's rec referees, CYO, there's AU, there's junior high, yeah, high school, yeah. college, and pro, and they kind of just lump us all together as if like, okay, we are the same. We, we do all referee, but that doesn't change the fact like I'm going to give advice to somebody that wants to be the best rec, rec referee that they want to be. That's going to be a lot different than somebody that I know in the NBA. We're just going to have yeah. different conversations, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's funny you say that because this whole thing impacts not just like mm-hmm. the big five referees and it, it doesn't affect us as college basketball, but it impacts 
like those that make a living making extra bucks yeah. repping CYO and rec league, like those, those people are affected just as much as mm-hmm. we are. Yeah. I think that's something that's forgotten as well. It's not just, you know, college basketball. And I even read something today that NFL referees are getting like a, if they opt out of the season, they're getting like a $30,000 stipend. It's like, wow. Yeah. Like, a, rec, a high school football referee is not going to get that. And I'm sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice little like, incentive. Yep. A, yeah, yeah. For, for a I'm sure $30,000 is more than a high school referee would make this like that. The impact is top to bottom, and the bottom is what's forgotten. Mm. And I mean, there's a lot more officials on the bottom side of it. And, and, and take out college. They got college officials completely, but high school, you know, the rec league officials, those, you know, the weekend CYO guys, that is extra money to them and they're impacted just as much as anyone else. Yeah. So it's not just the heavy hitters, if I put quotes on that. <laughs> and we'll leave it at, we'll leave it at that. And you know, hopefully I can still be the essential worker for officials, even if we're not working. <laughs> for Rich Fetter, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Rant. We are signing out. Peace.